Welcome to the Retreat House Podcast, where we gather at the table to hear each other's stories. I'm your host, Angie Smith, and I am so glad that you're here. Please pull up a chair and join us. Welcome to the Retreat House Table. I am alone at the table today. I wanted to introduce what our next series is going to be and tell you a little bit about why I chose that series and a little bit of my background with it. Our next series in the new year is going to be on grief. <laughs> when I thought about starting the new new year talking about grief, I thought that sounded like a kind of an odd way to start the year, but with the way schedules were working out, that was that was part of the reason. But also just because for me, I have found that grief has been kind of a companion the last several years and been super transformative for me. I've talked a little bit about it. I mean, you've heard me mention about losing my mom on some of the episodes and wrestling with God's goodness. And Judith Haugen said it best that when my mom died, that event skewed my view of God. And I think that's pretty accurate. So I just think grief can be a really powerful thing. And we have a choice about how we're going to approach it. The people that I've asked to come and be guests on the show have amazing stories of grief. I mean, huge losses and a lot of wisdom, hard earned wisdom that they've learned. Just really powerful stories. So I really hope that you'll tune in for the episodes for this next series on grief. But I wanted to give you a little bit about my story of grief, about where, why, why, why grief. And I wasn't really sure how far to go back. I had done a workshop a while back on grief with a friend of mine, my friend Jenny, and I had done it together. And the whole purpose of our workshop was wanting people to understand that grief doesn't fit in a box, you know. They talk about the different stages of grief, which, you know, maybe some people experience grief in that kind of linear order. That that wasn't my experience. It hasn't been a, the experience of a lot of people that I talk to. It's more, uh, you know, cyclical and, you know, you walk through something and then you end up that you're back at it again. Yeah. And so the, the purpose of our workshop was that we really wanted people to think about grief out of the box and not putting extra added expectations on themselves or on other people, the way that other people walked through their grief. But so when we had done that workshop, I thought, you know, I knew that I had had a lot of loss. And so I just decided I wasn't sure where to begin. And so I just decided that I would kind of make a timeline and, and talk about or write down all the losses that I had had and and when those had happened. And I went back to when Todd and I had started to, or decided to start a family and were having trouble and ended up needing to have infertility treatment. And we started that in February of 04. And later that year, we found out that we were pregnant with Charlie and he came six weeks early a year later, we found out we were pregnant again, and it was not by infertility treatment. We had just naturally gotten pregnant. That was in May, I think, May or June, that we found out we were pregnant. 
And at the beginning of August, this is 2006, at about 10 and a half weeks, I was experiencing some cramping and went into the doctor and they couldn't find a heartbeat. And she said that the there's no heartbeat, you know, the life is no, viral, no longer viable and I should go home and wait to pass the baby. So that's what we did. And that... <laughs> it's just awful. It's awful when you know that you've lost this person that you've hoped for. And one of my pastors said, you know, it's not only the loss of a life, it's the loss of the hope, hopes and the dreams that you had for that life, which was so true. And so uh, a couple days later, I did pass the baby and we had, you know, there's no, <laughs> there's no manual on how to walk through this. And I think people are getting better about how to deal with miscarriage and being more purposeful about it, which I think is great. But we weren't really sure what to do. And we called the clinic and asked them, you know, they wanted, their concern was that if I didn't pass the entire baby, then I'd need to go in for a procedure. Um, but I did. And so then I said, what do I do? You know, what now I have this, my, this baby, what do I do? And they said, oh, you can just flush it. And <laughs> I knew right away that was not an option. And when I talked to Todd, he said, oh, no, that isn't an option. And didn't we didn't know what to do. And I had I grew up in the Lutheran Church and went through confirmation. And when I was confirmed, my aunt gave me a miniature version of the Lutheran hymnal. And at the beginning of the Lutheran hymnal are all the different kinds of services, services for marriage and funerals and different um, the like the liturgy for the services. And so I went there and found a service for a funeral and Todd and Charlie, who was know, like 15 months, and I went out into the backyard and walked through the funeral service, and we had a fire pit in our backyard, had gotten a really roaring fire going, and had the service back there, and decided that, I guess it's cremating um, the baby, but that was how we were kind of purposefully walking through that loss. A few days later, we had a trip planned with Todd's side of the family going to Door County. Todd had said, are you sure you want to go? And I said, you know, I'm going to be sad wherever I am. And we hadn't, his family, his parents live in the Twin Cities now, but at the time they didn't. And so I said, I'll be sad wherever we are. And we don't get to see your family that often. So let's just go. But I really want to have a time to get away by myself and really like talk with God about this. And so when I got away, I had that time by myself, I ended up finding myself drawn to Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, which is a really common verse for, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you plans to give you a hope in a future. And I know that that verse is taken out of context a lot. And so I read the context of it. So in Jeremiah, it goes on to say, In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I was looking, I wanted hope. You know that verse 11 talks about a future and a hope. And I knew that I had hope of, I know that I have hope of eternal life. But where was my hope in that moment? 
Where was my hope sitting in that grief? And I found it in those verses that followed. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I was not alone in my grief. The Lord was with me and was going to walk with me through that grief. We needed to give my body a couple of months to recover from from the miscarriage. And in uh, the next January of 07, we had decided to resume our infertility treatment and got pregnant right away. Um, and then, and they do test real early. So we found out really early, um, but then lost that baby. So miscarriage number two, uh, the next month, then we started on the next cycle and got pregnant again and miscarried again. And that was in March of 07. We were at the end of our healthcare coverage for covering infertility. And so we thought, okay, well, I, you know, we're, we're just going to step back. And also at the time, my grandma was had been diagnosed with cancer and was fighting can- a really horrible, aggressive cancer. And so we just stepped back and thought, well, we'll just see what happens. And in July of July of 07, my grandmother passed away. She actually passed away on my dad's her it's my dad's mother passed away on his 70th birthday. So that was a huge loss. I mean, we would go to grandma's house, you know, for all the holidays. She lived in the same town that I did growing up and and just a couple of months later, you know, and I had my mom had an, a good friend who her name was Mary. She um was fighting cancer too. I can't remember what kind of cancer it was, but it was a an aggressive cancer that was not curable. And it was getting to the point where they were no longer doing treatment. So I wanted to go visit her. In September of 07, uh, my mom, my sister Rhonda and I went up to visit Mary. She lived in um, a little town in northern Minnesota. So we drove up there because she had said that she wanted me to come visit. I wanted to visit her, but she wanted me to come visit because she had something for me. And when I got there, she told me that there was a I, I love to entertain and I have an obsession. I have a problem with dishes. <laughs> I should just acknowledge that now. I love sets of dishes and having different sets of dishes and entertaining. And she had inherited a set of dishes from a woman that was a men- she, Mary was a mentor to me. And she had inherited a set of dishes from a mentor of hers. She had asked her daughter-in-law and her daughter-in-law wanted the the family set of dishes. And so she, Mary really wanted to pass the dishes on to someone that she knew would use them and love to entertain. And so she wanted to pass them along to me, but really wanted to share a meal with me on on them first. And so we shared a meal together on the dishes and, you know, got everything washed. And later that month, actually, I found out again that I was pregnant and that we were, we had gotten pregnant naturally. And by this time, we had kind of figured out what, you know, what was going on with my body. And what it was is that my body thinks that the baby is a foreign object and tries to get rid of it. And so my blood would clot and cut off all circulation to the baby. I would end up losing the losing the baby. And so they put me on a regimen of giving myself a shot of blood thinner every day. So my entire, my whole pregnancy with my second son, I gave myself a shot of blood thinner every day in the stomach. So, you know, all of that is happening. And in October of 07, uh, Mary, my mentor, died. And in February of 08, my mom was diagnosed with 
uterine cancer. And so, you know, went in, did the radical hysterectomy and tested everything and it was in her lymph nodes. It was stage four. And if I'm remembering correctly, it was a sarcoma, so it was not curable. They could keep it at bay, but it wasn't curable. Although I don't think I knew that at that time. I came to know that later. My mom has this surgery, recovers from surgery, goes into chemo. Um, I end up going into preterm labor. Um, Our first son had come six weeks early, so I was in preterm labor again, and they tried to stop it. But then he ended up coming six weeks early, just like his older brother. And (laughs) funny story, um, at the time that I had him, I was in, I think we were both in Alina hospitals. My mom was having a bad reaction to chemo and I had just had Ben and so we were at different hospitals so she wasn't able to come and visit I wasn't able to visit her but we would talk on the phone and you know the menu was the same so we would talk about what are you having for lunch I had this it's just a funny like I guess dark humor memory from that and then in so Ben was born in April of 08 and then September of 08 my mom was given a clean bill of of health I thought Again, I didn't know about the sarcoma, about not being curable. And just before Christmas of 08, we found out that her cancer was back and it was on the move again. And the next year in March of 09, she resumed cancer treatment. And this time it wasn't working. It was starting to spread. It spread to her throat. There was a tumor in her throat that was pushing on her vocal cords and so she ended up losing her voice toward the very toward the very end they had said if it ever got into her lungs that treatment would cease because there wasn't anything that they could do about that and so in July of 09 we found out that it had actually gone into her lungs and that treatment was going to stop we found out that the cancer was in my mom's lungs about a week before we we're going to go to our reunion. We have a cousin's weekend reunion every year. It's my mom's side of the family. And so we had that job of, you know, trying to tell them if they wanted to see mom that they should probably come to cousin's weekend. And that year we had the highest attendance ever. We had over 40 people. We usually have somewhere around 30, but we were at or above 40 people that year. Um, and it was a really difficult but beautiful weekend. There was a, my mom was in a, in a cabin. She was already on hospice care. And so we had, you know, the oxygen tanks and all the things. And she sort of set up in her cabin and there was just a steady stream of people going in and out of her cabin, having conversations with her. And yeah, it was really beautiful. I think because of this steady stream of people and all these conversations, my mom's breath was becoming shorter and shorter, and she decided that she wanted to leave a day early. And so we, each year we would gather and we would take a big group picture. So we gra- gathered and take, took a big group picture and loaded my mom into the van. As we closed the door, someone knocked twice on the top of the van, signaling to my dad that it was time to go, and the van pulled away. And it seemed to hit everyone in that moment about what that meant. That it was our cousins, our family's last time to see mom. And I think my sisters and I were a little afraid too that it was going to be our last time to see her. It was just two years previous that my grandma had actually passed away while we were 
at that same reunion. So the van pulled away and pulled out of sight. And then all of a sudden, you know, there was this, there were tears and hugs and it was hard, but it was, there was a lot of beauty in it too. Just a couple of weeks after the reunion, my mom passed away on August 5th in 2009. My dad, my sisters, my aunts, and a dear friend of my mom were all able to be with her when she passed. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being at the bedside or being with someone when they pass away, but it's this weird, contradictory feeling of wanting to run, but not wanting to be anywhere else either so that you can, you know, like soak up every last minute of it. In the moment my mom died, my life changed forever. The finality of it was something I wasn't prepared for. I mean, we knew it was coming and, you know, you're trying to prepare yourself as best you can, but when it actually happens, it's so, it's so final. And I suddenly found myself a member of a club that I didn't know existed. And I certainly never wanted to join, but it was this club of women who had lost their mothers. And those are the people that I felt most comforted by by talking with them. And I remember I had one friend, Elise, in particular, and she had lost her mom a couple years before. And I kept thinking about that I had seen Elise since she had lost her mom. I had seen her smile. I had seen her experience joy again. And I knew that I would too. My, I, re- I remember Todd telling me when he called his parents to tell them that my mom had passed away. He said to his dad, what do I do? How do I come alongside her in this? And his dad said, well, when your mom lost, when my mother-in-law lost her mom, it took her two years to kind of get back to a resemblance of herself, which I, I thought was a, <laughs> a really freeing statement to hear that, okay, I've got two years to kind of deal with this. And, and I would say, I mean, obviously, you know, it's been eight years and I'm telling the story and having trouble keeping the tears back. So it's something that still affects me, but you know, the, I guess the functioning well in it or despite it took a long time. Yeah. Those, I thought that the two year mark was significant for me. So then after uh, my mom had died. Her sister, my Aunt Pat, lost her husband, my Uncle Joe, of cancer in December. And then my great aunt died in December. And then a cousin of Todd's lost his daughter, I think she was five, um, to a, a brain cancer. She had been at St. Jude's Hospital and um, had lost her battle. So just a lot of loss, you know, from 06 to 09 nine losses. And, you know, one of them was my mom, my grandma, my mentor, or those are three of them. And so just really big, significant losses in a short amount of time. Some of the things that surprised me the most were the the physical part of grief, that it actually physically hurt to grieve, that it was, I, someone, a guest who I'll actually have on the podcast talked about being very purposeful in his grief and wanting to go through it, not around it, not try to avoid it, but very purposefully go through it. And if I remember right, he had described it as 
a hole that gets smaller but never goes away, never gets filled in again, is always there. And I really found that to be true. And it was those people that would ask me, you know, even when I felt like, oh, you know, I'm doing pretty well. Someone who know you, someone who you know knows grief asks you how you're doing. And then all of a sudden, you know, these facades that you try to put up come tumbling down and tears start streaming. And I, I really thought, I said, I really thought I was doing well, but I guess I wasn't doing as well as I thought I was. But as I've walked through grief and really wanting to do it purposefully and, you know, be honest about my journey that there have been a lot of lessons that I've learned. And one of them is that, you know, it's Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things for good for those who know him. I'm paraphrasing um, that that's not a, that can sound so Pollyanna and so cliche, but I've been able to come alongside people who are grieving in ways that I wouldn't have been able to had I not walked through grief myself. And so to have that pain find a purpose and a good has been a lot better than just pain for pain's sake. I've I've been really grateful for the way I've been able to come alongside friends who are experiencing loss or friends who are trying to come alongside other friends who are experiencing loss and not that I'm I don't know all the things I can just share with them what I've found to be helpful but I've been really grateful for that so after my mom passed away I ended up being I've talked about it a little bit a leadership development group Tanya and I mentioned it a few times it was with Kathy Solomon that group of women ended up becoming almost like my grief support group we were studying other things, but we were always taking time to hear what's happening in each other's lives and praying praying for each other. And that was a safe space for me to to really wrestle with my grief and wrestle with the way that Judy had put it, my this kind of skewed vision now that I had of God that I had prayed and prayed and prayed for him to heal my mom and he hadn't. And what, you know, what do I do with that? And it really launched me into a faith crisis where I really honestly wasn't sure that I was going to continue to walk with him. I had huge questions about God, huge questions about his goodness, about his purpose, about his existence. Um, Before I had made a decision to walk with him, I had knowledge of him and, you know, kept telling him, just, you know, leave me alone, get out of my life, let me do what I want to do. And then came to a place where I had decided that, no, I I wanted to live God's way and walk with him and serve the purpose that he had for me. And, but I had come to a point again where there just the pain and the loss, I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure that I still wanted to be signed up for what I had signed up for. But I went back to what I had experienced after my miscarriage when I read that those verses in Jeremiah 29 and talking about a hope and what was that hope, that hope was that God was walking with me. Had he allowed my mom to die? He had. Could he have prevented it? He could have. Why didn't he? I don't know. I will never know. There were parts of the story that, you know, my mom had symptoms for months 
before she went in. So, you know, I think she, she could have gone in earlier, could have taken better care of herself. I blamed her for a while. I, I don't blame her now. I mean, it, it has gotten to a point where it just, it is what it is. And I had, I've talked before about when I did strength finders, one of my top five strengths with positivity. So trying to look for the silver lining and trying to look for the good in this, trying to look for some piece of hope, something to kind of grasp onto and cling to. And that was that he was with me and he was never going to leave me and God was never going to forsake me. Uh, I think I've at times felt forsaken, but it isn't always good to base everything to base everything on feelings. Um, I knew in my head that it was true, but it hadn't come down to our heart knowledge. And and you even heard in the conversation with Judith that it, I'm still in process and I will be for my whole life, which doesn't really feel encouraging, but there it is. <laughs> At least I'm not a lost cause. Uh, that this this head knowledge I have is is moving down into a heart and life and, you know, soul knowing God's goodness. And I've talked before about, you know, how this has been brought up again about, you know, his goodness. And as I walked through losses and I've come to a point where I'm, I'm not thankful I lost my mom, but as the years pass, I become thankful for what I've learned I've become thankful for the amazing intimacy I have with God that I wouldn't have had I not gone through this kind of loss and this kind of trial. But this journey with grief, who I called a companion before, which it it feels like grief is always with me. And that sounds a little morbid, but, you know, it comes up at unexpected times you know, Mother's Day, Christmas, those big holidays are hard. But, but you know, you get your, I would get myself all kind of like ramped up and amped up and ready and like steeled against the pain that will come with having to celebrate these holidays with her, without her again. And it's been the times that I wasn't, didn't have myself steeled. I wasn't ready for it. And I was in a department store and I smelled Chanel number no. five, which was her perfume and alone in the mall. And all of a sudden you feel the tears coming and you're Angie, you are alone in the mall. Don't be that person crying at the fragrance counter or at target at Christmas time. The, those there are chocolate oranges and you're supposed to crack them open and then they break into slices and there's orange inside their chocolate orange, which I think is so gross, but my mom loved those. And I remember the first couple of years after she passed around Christmas time when those would be on the shelf at Target, I would see them and like get that wide eyed, uh oh, again, and I'm by myself in public. Hang on, don't lose it here. And sometimes I was able to keep control and sometimes I wasn't. And that's fine. <laughs> I've learned that I have to have grace for myself, not only in this process of grief, but kind of in in all of life. I've heard Annie Downs talk about, you know, Annie from five years ago, Annie from 10 years ago, that as she looks back, instead of having shame about 
things she did or didn't do, that she has compassion for herself, that she was doing the best that she could at the time. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that approach to looking back and that I've I've done the best that I could. Walking through grief has probably been the hardest thing that I've done or am doing, but I'm getting to a point where I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the fruit of it. I'm I'm thankful for the fruit that has come from that struggle and I yeah, I I'm excited for this series that we have coming up. I'm excited for you to hear the stories of my friends that I've invited to come and share their stories, to hear how they've walked through grief, to hear the lessons that they've learned and how that's affected their relationships with people, with God, what they've learned. And there's been a lot of good in the greater sense that has come from it. And so if you are experiencing grief or you're doing life with someone who is experiencing grief, I really invite you to come and just sit with us at the table and, and hear the stories and and to be a to be a part of kind of the sacred space of hearing people share their heart and people sharing their life. So I really hope that you'll be able to join us for the next several weeks as we look at different people's stories with grief. Thank you for listening to the Retreat House podcast. Any links mentioned in the show can be found in the show notes. We want to thank Isaac Turley for his music at the beginning and end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, and we'll see you next week on the Retreat House podcast.